Amen. It is our hope and prayer that you would indeed find your all in Christ this day. And we do so from the reading of God's Word where we encounter the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ in and through it. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 28, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 28. Our plan is for next week to conclude this wonderful book, the Acts of the Apostles, as we will finish up our time in it uh, prior to our Reformation conference. Begin reading with me in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. After from there, we made a circuit and, made, uh, and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apipius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. After three days, he called together local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charges to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you that your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers, From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Thus far, the reading of God's Holy word, he may be seated. There's a story told of a man who lived next door to a poor Christian widow. And this man was an atheist. And he was always trying to prove to this widow that God was not real and that her faith was indeed a hoax. So he came up with a, a plan, a scheme, to try to demonstrate that the things that she thought was divine could actually be explained by natural causes. So he bought a bag of groceries, 
went to her house, rang the doorbell, left the groceries on her doorstep, and then went and hid around the corner so that when the widow came out, she found no one there, only a bag of groceries left on her doorstep, to which she praised the Lord by saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for these groceries. And when this man heard this, he came around the corner and said, ha, Jesus didn't do anything. I left those groceries there. To which the widow said, no, no, Jesus provided these groceries. He just had the devil pay for them. Paul's journey to Rome is a bit of the same. He always hoped to make it to Rome, and he finally does. However, not as a freeman, through Roman imprisonment. And so, too, we can say that God provided the way, but the Roman government paid for it. And that is what we see in our passage this day, that Paul finally makes it to Rome. Rome at last has indeed been several years of imprisonment to get to this point. After arguing and appealing his case, he has taken it all the way to Rome and to the very last appeal to Caesar himself, which will indeed take several more years. But what we see is that Paul was not just twiddling his thumbs in prison, waiting for resolution. He continues to do that which he has always done, wherever he went, under whatever circumstance he found himself. As a free man or as an imprisoned man, he continues to minister to others and to ultimately proclaim Christ. And the Lord uses him mightily, despite his conditions. In fact, we could even say his conditions and his circumstances increased the effectiveness of his work. And the work of the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, indeed continues on even to this day, and it powerfully affects you and me. And we'll see that in three points this morning. First, the arrival. Second, the acceptance. And third, the rejection. First, the arrival. Last two weeks, we have seen that Paul's trip to Rome was not a good trip. In fact, it was setback after setback, put them behind schedule. And so they tried to set sail when it was not a good season to sail. And they got caught in a tempest, a hurricane-like storm for two weeks, only to catch a glimpse of land and make a beeline for it. But they were caught by the reef, and the ship was destroyed. And so they swim or they float to shore, and yet what we read was that all were saved, that there were no lives that were lost, and they were saved because of the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And they find out that the island that they had wrecked upon was the island of Malta. And what is very ironic about this is that when they decided to leave Fairhavens and go to Phoenix because they thought Phoenix would be a a better place, a a place better suited for winter, that trip from Fairhavens to Phoenix was about 40 miles westward, both on the island of Crete. In other words, it was a a short distance, both able to, to be made in a few 
days, no doubt. But what we read is that they did not make it to Phoenix because of the storm. And rather, what we read is that they were tossed and turned and driven by the storm. And they were lost because it was completely dark. The storm blocked out the sun and the stars, which would have been their navigational beacons. And so they did not know for two weeks if they were being driven north or south or east or west. They were at the mercy of the storm and ultimately the mercy of the Lord. And what we find is that though they did not know where they were going, the Lord did. And he was sovereignly directing them. He was indeed the one that sent the storm as well as the one that was directing the ship in the midst of the storm. And so what they discovered, and you can actually see this on the map, is that when they discovered that the island that they shipwrecked was the island of Malta, they realized that they were now 600 miles to the west. So you see what took place. They were hoping to go 40 miles to the west, Instead of, because of the storm, they were driven 600 miles to the west. In other words, any time that had been lost on the journey was made up and then some. Whereas they thought this storm was driving them completely off course, losing time and resources, no doubt, the Lord actually had them right on course, better than if they had blue skies and calm waters, and the calm breeze was at their back. And what they discovered was that they were now relatively close to Rome. The Lord had made up for lost time, and he did so by the means of a storm. And I think there's a spiritual analogy there that is very much true in our lives as well. That if you want to grow in the Lord... If you want to make strides in your sanctification, the Lord will answer that prayer. But he oftentimes will do it through trials and tribulations and afflictions. It's not the only means of growth, no doubt. But I tell you that there is no better means of growth than the storms of life. And perhaps you may be in one right now. And while in it, you may be asking, and rightfully so, so, what is happening? What is taking place, Lord? What are you doing? What is going on? And I may not be able to answer that question for you fully this morning, but I can be confident of one thing, that he is for sure growing you in the midst of the storm, having you to grow in your faith and trust in him. Because that happens much more rapidly amidst the storm. It doesn't often feel like it, does it? Again, while we are on board, so to speak, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what is taking place. We don't know what is happening. In fact, we might feel a little bit nauseated by the ups and downs of life. The winds and the waves, so to speak. But don't we see a promise that we can hold on to. On our own, just like those on the boat were only trying to go a small distance, the Lord brought them a far distance. The Lord, unbeknownst to them, brought them 600 miles 
rather than their own 40 miles that they hope to go. And I think that's very true of life. As many of you know, I was asked to teach a seminary course this semester at our local seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary here in Atlanta. And the class that I was asked to teach is on personal sanctification. And so I told the class on the very first day that this would be the, both the easiest as well as toughest class that they ever take. I thought that sounded very professorial. I said, it's relatively easy in workload. Come to class, read the books that I've assigned, do the book reports. That's all there is. No quizzes, no tests, no exams. And then, with a smile like a Cheshire cat, I said, but you're taking a class on personal sanctification. The Lord will do all the testing that is needed. And that is true, isn't it? Sanctification is hard. It's often by going against headwinds that are coming directly in our face. Earlier we sang that song from John Newton, I asked the Lord that I might grow. It was a hymn that I discovered this summer. It was new to me. But I think it summarizes the Christian life so beautifully, doesn't it? In that very first stanza, he says that I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace that more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. What a a great prayer. But we go on to sing the middle stanzas. Uh, Demonstrates that the prayer was not answered the way that Newman or Newton thought it would. In fact, it was completely opposite of what he thought, and even seemingly what he prayed. So much so that in stanza four, he cries out, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. And then you hear this wonderful response. Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answered prayer for grace and faith that these inward trials I employed from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joys that you may find your all in me. That song summarizes the Christian life, doesn't it? Growth happens, but oftentimes it happens painfully. No doubt if you're a believer, you know this reality already. As I mentioned, perhaps you've gone through circumstances like it. Perhaps you're going through circumstances like that, circumstances that you would never want to go through, but upon reflection, you realize that it's the time that your faith grew or is growing, that your roots went deep to find that life-giving water that is only found in Christ alone, and the end result was that your, your leaves were greener and your fruit was more abundant. In other words, you flourished as a result of the storm. That is the work of God alone, isn't it? And it's not because the Lord likes to play at our expense, but rather because it's usually through the pain and difficulty that sin is uprooted and it is replaced with godly character. 
and the fruits of the Spirit. And so the Lord allows it and even sends it for our good. Again, like that hymn that we often sing, O Father, you are sovereign, the Lord of human pain, transmuting earthly sorrow to gold of heavenly gain, all evil overruling as none but conqueror could. Your love pursues its purpose, our soul's eternal good. Do you hear what that hymn is saying? That through pain and sorrow brings about gain and good. Only the Lord can do that and does do that. And we can be confident of it. Well, after wintering for three months in Malta, there Paul was able to minister to those upon the island and no doubt to those that were upon the ship with him. And as a result, there were many converts and disciples. No doubt we will meet brothers and sisters in the Lord because of the Apostle Paul's time there in the island of Malta. But they were able to hail a ship to Rome. And again, you have to love the author Luke and the information that he adds. And sometimes I think he adds things just for comedic irony. He mentions, you perhaps noticed that in verse 11, at the boat that they were able to hail and get a ride upon had twin gods as a figurehead. Greek gods on the bow of the boat. And so here was the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of God, being brought to Rome with the gospel on a boat that was dedicated to Greek gods that were obviously no gods at all, but wood figurines. But Paul was brought to Rome by God, paid for by the devil, the Roman government, on a boat dedicated to non-gods. You've got to love the irony of God and, and how he even mocks the gods of this world. But it says in verse 14 that at long last they came to Rome. And it says that many of the brothers came from the surrounding area to meet Paul. In fact, they came both from near and far. Remember, the epistle of Romans had already been written by this point, and so they were well acquainted with Paul, at least through his writings and through his reputation. And now they're able to see him face to face and meet him in person. And you have to love this. It says in verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about this, came from far. And when they came, Paul was encouraged by them. It says, in fact, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul had heard of the believers in Rome, obviously enough to pin a letter, but he had never seen them. And so for him to see them, to see the physical evidence before his eyes, to see them eye to eye, as it were, to see God's saving work, it allowed him to praise and thank God. And through it, he took courage, which again, shows the humanness of Paul, that even the apostle Paul got discouraged in his work. But seeing them, he was encouraged. I think he was encouraged because he recognized that he still had work to do. 
That the Lord had sent him specifically there for a reason. That his work on earth was not done. And I hope that you are continually encouraged as well. As you come to this church or as you go out from this church, if you are a child or if you're a teenager or if you're even a 90-year-old senior saint, if you're still here, the Lord still has work for you to do. And so do it with great courage. Be encouraged by God's work and his work through you. Well, second, we see this aspect of acceptance. We see some of that work of the Apostle Paul in the rest of this chapter that though Paul remained a prisoner, he was afforded some liberty. He was not put in a Roman prison cell, but rather was allowed to stay by himself in a rented space with a Roman soldier guarding it. Essentially, the Apostle Paul was on house arrest. It was a luxury, no doubt, afforded to him because of his reputation while being imprisoned. And so it was not complete freedom. He could not come and go as he pleased, but others could come and visit him. And therefore, ministry to others was not lost. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul does. It says after three days, verse 17, he called the Jews together to plead his case. Now, why did Paul do this? Remember, the only charges against him were from the Jews. The Romans had not charged him. So no doubt he wanted to plead his case before the Jews in the hopes that the Jews would drop the charges so that he could indeed be free. But I believe it was more than that. What we have seen throughout all of Paul's trials was the desire for him to plead and proclaim Christ Because though Paul was primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, he still had a heart for his own Jewish people. So much so that he can, in fact, say in that letter that he wrote to the Romans that I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You hear what Paul is saying in that letter to the Romans before he got to Rome is that he desires for all of his own people, all of the Jews, to be like him, to be converted. So much so that he can say, I would rather be cut off from Christ so that all my Jewish Brothers may know the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. And so we must never think that Paul did not have a heart for the Jewish people. He absolutely did. He can even say to the Jews gathered there on that day in verse 23, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. Do you hear what he's saying? Because of the hope of Israel, not for their destruction, Not for the destruction of Israel. No, for their hope. Ultimately, the gospel hope. And again, I think this is a good reminder for us. that we need to have a similar heart for our kinsmen. For our own nation. It's easy to look at our country and get discouraged. Sometimes it can even have us be disgusted 
with this nation that we belong to. And yet, we should really long for the salvation, for revival, for the Lord's work to be done in this land. Because that is what the Apostle Paul did. Despite all the things that the Jews had done to him. And you can imagine the the lists that he could have made. Remember the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. He's here imprisoned by the Jews, by his own. You think he could have renounced them. He could have count them all his enemies. But rather he resisted that temptation. Why? Because I believe that ultimately he had the heart of Christ for them. He saw that they were a sheep, sheep without a shepherd. That they were lost without Christ. May we have that same prayer. That we wouldn't get overly discouraged at this nation. We definitely should not get disgusted at it. But rather it should drive us to pray and to work and to minister all the more among our coworkers, among our neighbors, among our lost family members. Be encouraged in the work. Don't be discouraged by it. But what we read is that the Jews were unaware of Paul's case. They were able to say, we have not received a letter nor a report from anyone about you. But then they go on to say these words, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. That is indeed music to the Apostle Paul's ears. That is better than a salesman hearing, hey, tell me a little bit more of your product. Sure thing, I can do that. Essentially, the Jews were saying to Paul, hey, Paul, can you preach the gospel to us? Can you tell us a little bit more about Christ? That's obviously not what they said. They said, we want to hear your views. But you know the Apostle Paul's views. His views are all about Christ and about the gospel. Sometimes at work or in your neighborhood, you get these opportunities as well. Or coworkers or neighbors will ask you, hey, what's your view about this or about that? That's an opportunity to proclaim Christ. Or at least a Christian worldview. Or maybe someone will pay you a compliment and say, you know what, you're a, you're a really great worker. You have a, a great attitude. Or maybe somebody will come up to you and say, hey, your, your kids are, are great. They're, they're really well-behaved children. I don't see that very often. Don't say, well, yeah, you know what, it's because of my great work ethic or my 12-step parenting plan. Now, this is an opportunity to give glory to God and to God alone. If your unbelieving neighbor or friend or stranger is putting the gospel on a tee, then hit it out of the park. Not for you, but for Christ. The Apostle Paul never missed an opportunity to do so. In fact, he does exactly that. We read in verse 23, it says that many came to his lodging, in fact, in great number. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Do you hear what it says? It says that from morning to evening, Paul opened the scriptures to them. The law and the prophets, trying to convince them about Jesus. As I heard one pastor say, if I could, I would trade all of my seminary training in order to have been a part of that meeting. 
to be schooled in the school of Paul, explaining and preaching Christ from all of Scripture. And what that demonstrates, if you do not know it already, is that Christ can be and must be preached from all the Scripture. You remember when he is speaking of the Scriptures here, it was only the Old Testament Scripture, the Law and the Prophets. We now have the New Testament, but it is both from Genesis all the way to Revelation that this Word is about Christ. It's His revelation to us, just like all roads led to Rome, so all Scripture must lead to Christ. And that's why I want to encourage you, if you do not already come on Sunday nights, because it is our pattern in the morning to preach from the New Testament, but in the evening to preach from the Old Testament. And when we do so, we're not just preaching history lessons. We're preaching Christ. Though we're using and talking about people long, long ago in a far, far away place, I tell you, it's more relevant to you than the morning news. It's incredible because it's God's word to us. It's the revelation of Christ given to us. But what I think is also critical here to understand is that the Apostle Paul did not try to convince them from personal experience or philosophically reasoning with them or giving them reason to believe from nature. Rather, he uses the Scriptures. That is the model that is given to us throughout the book of Acts. Indeed, it is the apostolic method. That is the method needed even today because it is the means of grace. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. Therefore, you do not need ultimately stories from me. You don't need to know what's going on in our culture. You need to hear from God from his word, obviously applying what is taking place in our world, but coming forth from it, from the scriptures. And we see that that ministry is effective. We see it effective here in verse 24, when it says some were convinced by what he said. We know that the Apostle Paul's ministry there to the Jews and the Gentiles was effective. And we read specifically of one runaway Roman slave, Onesimus, that was converted under the, mystery, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the book of Philemon is written about him. And Paul can say of Onesimus to Philemon, he is my child whose father I've become. In my imprisonment. Literally, it says, I spiritually begot or birthed Onesimus in my imprisonment. We need to pray that there would be many, many more that are spiritually birthed from death to life in our ministry as well, the ministry of this church. Would you pray along those lines and work towards that end? But third, we see this aspect of rejection. It would be untrue to say that all were convinced, that all believed, that all were converted, because it says some were convinced, but the others disbelieved. But even the Apostle Paul did not bat a thousand. And if people did not listen to the Apostle Paul or even the Lord Jesus Christ when he was amongst them, it's proof positive that some will not believe no matter how many proofs or how much evidence or reason is given. 
But we should not be discouraged by that. That is nothing new, is it? In fact, even the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 there in verses 26 and 27, saying, hearing, but they do not hear. They see, but they do not see. Why? Because their hearts have grown dull. We need to be reminded that it's not an ear problem or an eye problem. It's a heart problem. That the heart has grown dull. It's a heart issue, not an intellectual issue. And the Lord is always dealing with the heart. One of the, my favorite verses comes from Proverbs 4.23, which says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Or as another translation puts it, perhaps even better, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Indeed, everything we do does flow from it. That's why the Lord is concerned about the heart. The Lord is doing heart work. The Spirit of God is like a spiritual heart surgeon. And what he is doing is he's replacing our bad heart and giving us a new heart, replacing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, a heart, no doubt, of Christ. That is what we should all want. That is what we should all desire. Lord, give me that heart. Is that your desire this morning? I tell you, it comes by surrendering your heart to Christ. Recognizing that in your heart, there is every type and every kind of sin. Jesus says this, doesn't he? When he says, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says these defile a person. Notice they all come from the heart. We sin because we are sinners and we need a new heart. And that's the work that Christ is doing. And he will not give up on that work until it is complete, until we have a complete transformation, heart, soul, and body. Obviously, that work will not be complete until the day of redemption, until the day of the new heavens and the new earth. But I tell you what, the work has already begun, hasn't it? Right now, in fact, even through the preaching and teaching of this word, this day, the Spirit is at work in you. And I tell you what, there will be either two results. Either your heart will be softened and you will believe, or your heart will be hardened and you will disbelieve. Charles Spurgeon says the same sun, S-U-N, which melts wax, hardens clay. And he says the same gospel, which melts some persons to repentance, hardens others in sin. This is a day that your heart needs to be softened towards the Lord Jesus Christ. By my calculation, this is our 53rd sermon from the book of Acts. In other words, there has been 53 opportunities, if you've been a part of this series, from this book that have been given to you to repent and to believe. 
And don't say, oh, I've repented and believed back in 1973. No, we repent and we believe every Sunday. Every time the word of God is laid open to us, so too our hearts need to be laid open before Christ, where we understand our sin and we understand our need for our Savior. And what we see from this book, the book of Acts, and these 53 sermons preached, and really from all of Scripture, is that not only is our hearts laid bare, but we see a beautiful and perfect Savior. That we have an ample Savior that is ready to save, is eager to save all that come in faith and repentance. And so will you not come again this day? Be it your very first time, and it would be a delight for us for this to be the day when you are birthed from death until life. Or if this be the thousandth time that you come to faith in Christ by his grace and by his mercy, that you would have new hearts to believe and to trust and to love your Savior. Indeed, come home. Because home at last is is far better than Rome at last. Come to your heavenly home. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, Lord, we do indeed want to come home this day. Come home in, in faith and trust and in belief. Lord, may this church be like a home to us. Where we see Christ high and lifted up. Where we're reminded of how desperate we are in need of him and how he has provided everything that we stand in need of and that we have no lack that indeed he is the good shepherd of the sheep that though we are lost though we stray lord you come and seek and find us and there bring us into your flock and lord what a blessing what a treasure it is to be a part of the flock of god to be a part of the church of the lord jesus christ Lord, would we be not discouraged but encouraged by it this day? And would we ultimately be encouraged because we have such a wonderful Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and ask.